Welcome to the Wardrobe Muse, helping you dress from the inside out. Feeling wardrobe challenged? Discover your style with me. I love working with women to identify their authentic self through clothing, to craft and maintain simple wardrobes that reflect who they truly are and that work for their lifestyles. To work together, visit me on the web at lastwardrobe.com. Visit lasswardrobe.com. Here's your host, Lisa. Welcome to another episode of The Wardrobe Muse. And this season, we're really honing in our content to talk about sustainability. And uh, we're talking about that in fashion. And today we're talking about that in jewelry. And uh, just as a reminder to all of my listeners, I'm really here to help women figure out who they are and start expressing it through their appearance. Dressing is a part of our shared human experience and self-expression is part of your story and helps or hinders how you connect with others. So let's kind of keep that in mind. And our guest today is amazing. Her name is Sarah Duchovne, and she wrote a really lovely bio that I'm going to read to you. So it might sound like I'm actually reading because I am. I don't want to miss any of this. Sarah is a professional opera singer who has managed to turn her obsession with antique diamonds and estate fine jewelry into a profitable dual career. The two sides of her professional life work together in perfect harmony. While performing major roles with opera companies around the country and traveling alongside her opera singing husband, Sarah is able to source inventory from all over the world. This unique opportunity allows her to offer her customers some of the most unique and exquisite vintage and antique fine jewelry pieces available today. An unsuspected but meaningful niche in her business is also Divorce rings, special rings that women purchase for themselves to celebrate their strength and independence from unhappy and or unhealthy marriages. And this unexpected niche presented itself when Sarah shared a photo of her own divorce ring that she purchased after leaving an emotionally abusive marriage. Many women were moved by her story of survival and felt inspired to buy their own. Sarah is an ambassador and educational facilitator with the One Love Foundation, which is a nonprofit that teaches young people about healthy versus unhealthy relationships in an effort to end relationship abuse. She loves being a part of the healing process for her clients and helping them celebrate themselves. And a warm welcome to Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. I love the uh, story I was saying before we began recording that I've listened to other podcasts that Sarah's been on, and she has a really engaging story. And she will, uh, at the end of this, tell you how you can reach out to her and her various social media handles, because it is a story worth discovering. So Sarah, tell us, where do your vintage jewels come from? Well, the short and simple answer is that they are estate pieces. So um, they have all at one point belonged to someone else. Sometimes they have belonged to many people throughout many generations. So um, through my travels, I've built up many connections with estate wholesalers, 
um, you know, uh, antique dealers, many, many different sources of people within this small section of the jewelry industry and um, just formed those personal working relationships so I can call people no matter where I am or they reach out to me when things come in that, you know, they know are right up my alley. So it really comes down to personal relationships. But um, the short answer is that they are all estate pieces. I know Sarah doesn't necessarily rework her pieces. She does like to hold them in their original form and beauty. But just to share that one of the things I come across when working with clients, especially inventorying their wardrobe and their accessories, is many of these kinds of finds that they've been squirreled away um, in the back of a drawer and they're almost embarrassed to show them to me. They're like, these are not relevant. I never wear this. It was my grandmother's. And I've often challenged them to figure out a way if they don't like the actual aesthetic of it as it is in this moment to maybe rework it and to consider that as an option. What would you say to them though, Sarah? I want your wise sage wisdom on this. Yeah, you know, I am absolutely in favor of repurposing something so that you'll wear it, especially if it's a family piece. I think that, you know, the sentimentality of that and what that means to you and your family is really important. So if it's not something that you will wear, I 100% uh, support reworking it into something that's more your style. Um, I, you know sometimes do rework pieces, not in a major way um, and not with anything that has like real significant historical or, or fashion history value. But sometimes, um, you know, I'll see a brooch that I think would be an amazing ring or it's usually a brooch. <laughs> it's usually a brooch that will be an amazing ring or an amazing pendant. Um, once I found two Art Deco stick pins on opposite sides of the country. And they were almost identical with just slight differences. And I made them into an amazing pair of earrings mm. um, because, you know, people don't really wear stick pins right, in right. this day and age. So I, um, I'm not a total purist when it comes to that. And I do think if you have family jewelry and you're not going to wear it, I would rather see someone, um, you know, repurpose it and keep it in the family and give it, give it the love that it deserves. I happen to have three of those pieces myself from both sides of my family, from grandmothers, and they were much tinier than I. So, and, and the bands were obviously worn. So I really worked with the jeweler to reconstruct the bands and to keep the um, integrity of the piece, but be able to make them wearable. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, many, many vintage and antique rings need to be reshanked anyway. So those bands do wear down. Um, many rings, if it's not an eternity ring, can be sized. And that's like... I don't even think of that as a modification. Like that is just standard um, upkeep. Kind of like if you were going, if you inherited a jacket that was too big for you, but you loved it, or you know, you found it in a thrift store or whatever, you would take it to a tailor. So I think those little modifications of sizing or reshanking something so that it can last for you know three more generations, um, that 
is something that um, shouldn't intimidate people. Um, any local jeweler can do it for you. So definitely. I learned a new word, re-shank. Yes. I did not know <laughs> that that was the term. I love it. Sarah, what are the materials in your finds? Do you come across certain things over and over again, or are you truly finding each time uh, through your acquisition that the materials are very unique? I'm curious about that. Yeah, materials play a huge part um, in identification of different eras and really what I look for. So I don't usually deal with silver. Um, It's, you know, gold and platinum, palladium, those are like my main, <laughs> my main metals that I look for. But, um, you know, there's certain things that indicate different eras, like palladium is a close cousin to platinum. And we started seeing it used during World War II because platinum was um, a metal that was used in the war effort. So you couldn't use it for jewelry. So jewelers turned to palladium. Um, A lot of 40s and 50s earrings are made of palladium. And it's a wonderful, beautiful metal that looks like platinum, but it's lighter. So it actually is perfect for, um, for big statement earrings. And when you see that metal with the style, you it really helps put the pieces together so you know what time period you're looking at. Um, and then platinum, um, you know, in early 1900s, we started seeing platinum being used in really fine, beautiful filigree because the technology to heat the platinum to the proper um, temperature to make those really, really fine uh, designs had just been developed. But before that, we see, um, you know, gold with uh, gold over it or sometimes with silver over it, um, sometimes platinum topping gold. So, So those materials really do kind of flesh out that story. Um, also, white gold was developed during World War One for the same reason. Um, you know, jewelers needed a white metal, a platinum alternative during war times. So um, the alloy for white gold was developed and perfected so that it would um, more closely resemble platinum. I love your educational background. This is not just a tiptoe kind of hobby with you. You actually know your your metals, your gems. You actually have the historical perspective to place them in. Yeah, it's about 15 years of obsessive research. So this was really something that I was always um, obsessed with. That's really the only way to describe it. And I didn't have a business to make those skills and that knowledge relevant in my life, but I just always loved learning and talking to people. Um, I would go into antique jewelry stores when I was younger and, you know, dress up really nicely and act like I was shopping for something and just ask the jewelers so many questions about um, different eras and different kinds of antique jewelry. And even now, um, you know, I really, ask questions from the experts that I work with, like my gemologist, my appraiser. Every time I go, I'm really, really um, filling in any gaps in my knowledge and confirming things that I have learned um, to, you know, to make sure that I'm up to date. And what I've really learned from talking to these people is that everyone 
in the industry is also doing that. So it's constant learning. You're never finished. There's always something else um, that you can kind of layer into your education. So that really appeals to me. I love that, that lifelong learning aspect. Well, this is where Sarah and I are really aligned in how we, um, we engage with our customers. I, I feel like we're wise guides. You know, I on the image consulting and wardrobe coaching side and Sarah, if you want that, that knowledge, instead of trying to acquire it, she has done so and tapping into her as a resource would be amazing. And I love talking about it. So, you know, it's <laughs> no question is ever annoying to me. I love this. So because we're talking in this uh, podcast a lot about sustainability, um, sometimes I will frame this to my audience that people are very um, interested and knowledgeable about organic and sustainable food options. That's become sort of a mainstream um, conversation now. And we talk about this and we shop at conglomerates like Whole Foods because they give us these options. And we're now seeing that maybe this is moving into the um, fashion, wardrobe, jewelry. People are starting to ask more questions and become more aware. So Sarah, how is this in your mind a sustainable option for the consumer versus um, you know, conventional jewelry, uh, especially for an engagement option, for instance? Yeah, well, precious metals and gemstones come from deep inside the earth. They are formed, you know, way in the earth's crust, and there's a finite amount. And to get them out, you have to disrupt a lot of earth. You know, the carbon footprint is massive. So the way I like to think about sustainability, um, you can recycle, which is not a carbon neutral activity, but you're not creating more waste in one way. You're actually still creating waste in other ways, or you can just not create new things. So that's not to say that when vintage or antique pieces were mined or were created, they were done in, you know, a better way, but it's already been done. So you're not adding to the damage or the footprint. Um, and, you know, now when diamonds are mined, they are mined through the Kimberly process and um, they have to be ethically mined. But that's still not an environmentally, um, it's not environmentally ethic, ethical um, process. It, it just, it's a, it's a huge carbon footprint. So I like to think about uh, reducing waste by just using what already exists, what's already been done. Um, and I think with, um, with engagement rings, I mean, I really, I really do think for my clients, my clients like to have something that no one else has. So I think that the, the sustainability definitely plays a part but the idea of having something that has lived a life and been around and is one of a kind and is so unique, I think that is really what, um, what speaks 
to my clients. Um, I have been on sustainability podcasts before where they really enjoy the idea of sustainable jewelry, but they're not so much into um, the style or the uh, or the history of those pieces. And I get a lot of questions like, well, um, can I just melt it all down and make something new? And you can, you can do whatever you want. I would argue that's not as much of a sustainable option as just using what already exists. And again, this is where we're, we're really aligned. I am trying um, to engage my clients in the use of the things that reside in their closet presently, how to get the most out of that so that we're not acquiring more and more. That's a, that's really a curated closet process. Right. And that's how I believe I create a successful transformation with my clients because they will then have a signature wardrobe that works for them that is unique in the same way that your clients are looking for that unique one-of-a-kind piece of jewelry that they can wear and it has a story and no one else is going to have it. Yes, and I think that, uh, you know, the idea of a curated collection is really in alignment with sustainability because when you're mindful about the things that you bring into your home and the things you put on your body and you give thought and intention and you think, is this a forever piece for me? Is this something that I absolutely love that I can see passing on? You're not on that constant pursuit for new and exciting. You're not constantly consuming. You're not getting rid of things that you know you purchased because it was cheap and fun and trendy. You're really keeping things that are meaningful. And, and I think that that um, is a different way to think about sustainability, just mindfulness in what you are um, bringing in. I could not have said it better. It's perfect the way she's described that. Um, would you say that these pieces, you know, speaking of that, uh, do hold a higher quality than maybe perhaps uh, more recent contemporary jewelry design that's been produced? Yeah, I do. Um, you know, you can really see when you see that something's been around for over 100 years and it still looks amazing. Um, I think also people's um, ability to buy new things was different. So I think that people were more intentional about the things that they bought and they really bought for life. Whereas now, um, I don't think consumers think about it as much. Um, I've seen a lot of very expensive gold-filled jewelry on Instagram, um, not from antique people, but um, you know, like trendy new designers selling gold-filled which is one of the most wasteful things you can spend your money on because when you buy real solid gold, um, that can be melted down. If you need money, a gold is at such a high right now. If you need money, gold, you know, I mean, it equals dollars, but gold filled jewelry can't be melted down. We're talking about like a base metal with a thin layer of gold over it. And once that gold wears off and starts smelling like an old penny and you don't want to wear it anymore, it's gone. You can't, you can't melt it down. There's nothing of value there. And, um, even the gold layer on top of it, like the value is lost as soon as you attach it to that base metal. 
Um, and I see a lot of people thinking short term, um, sometimes spending only two or three hundred dollars less for a worthless piece of gold filled jewelry because it's trendy and it's fun and they're just thinking short term. In the long run, they could be more intentional about it. They could talk to an antique vendor about a payment plan um, or you know, just save up and buy fewer things. And then you have something of actual value that um, will last for your lifetime and for a lifetime after that and a lifetime after that. So I don't know, um, you know, it might just not be common knowledge, but um, I think gold filled jewelry or gold plated is one of the most wasteful things that you can do environmentally and financially. Well, I think it's great we're having this conversation then because most people probably don't know what the impact of the jewelry industry is in terms of toxic chemicals, waste, over pollution, mining. I mean, you've touched on some of these things. So, you know, in that quest, Sarah, to always be on trend and of the moment and up to date has a huge impact. Yeah. You know, I'm an opera singer, so I've never been that concerned about being trendy or of the moment. Um, <laughs> but I really think that um, a timeless look that is unique to you and your personal style is worth investing in. So sure, sometimes I'll buy some pieces of clothing that are quote unquote on trend but I generally don't love to have a different wardrobe every year. I like to stick to things that match my personality and match what I love. And what I love doesn't change that drastically. And I feel that way about my jewelry too, that if it's really something that speaks to you on an emotional guttural level, and we all know that feeling when you see something and you just know in your gut that you love this piece, you know, you don't have to worry about being on trend. This is something that no matter what the Instagram influencers are wearing, you're still gonna love this piece. It's a signature piece to you. So I really, love encouraging people to think about their purchases that way, that um, you really are buying for life. Well, Sarah's touched upon a couple of things that I want to reiterate. Um, being mindful, being intentional, listening to your gut emotions. I mean, this is what happens when my clients work with me and really trust me and trust themselves and trust my process. I feel like we create a successful transformation in this area where they may not have agency uh, because they're just not thinking like that. So when they're done with my process, they are going to have that signature wardrobe that works for them. And a piece of that wardrobe needs to be the accessories, needs to be the jewelry. And just um, getting them to shift their mindset to this new way of thinking. I mean, Sarah and I, obviously, this is kind of making our hearts sing. This is how we think. And we want to share this with more people. I really want people to have a wardrobe that works for them. I, I want them to save the time and the money and to know how to um, create timeless treasures for themselves, how to shop their own closet, dress from their own closet, use pieces like what Sarah is able to find. I mean, we all have those vintage pieces in our family, pull them out. And I, I just 
think that my clients feel more prepared after they have mastered their closet and, and then they can have fun with dressing and they can feel more upgraded and confident, refreshed, empowered, all those things that, you know, we're striving to feel through, um, through our, our days and our lives. Absolutely. The reduction of items too is just, uh, I think, a way that we can care for our earth better, um, you know, versus new designs all the time. I, I, I just think if we can open up these dialogues more, we're going to maybe get some traction. Some people will um, will come over to the 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 other side of the thinking. You've done a great portrayal of this in your social media accounts. Uh, tell us how to follow you there where people can see these beautiful items and start to relate to them. Yes. So I am always on Instagram. My Instagram handle is at Songbird Sarah Jewelry, and that's Sarah without an H. So Songbird Sarah Jewelry. Um, my website is Songbird Sarah Antique Jewelry.com. And um, I encourage all of you when you go on my website to subscribe for my email newsletter because I send out the just in newly acquired new to the website pieces to my email subscribers before I post them on my social media. So my email subscribers get first look and first dibs on all the stuff that's coming in before anyone on Instagram gets to see it. And um, it's, it's shaping up to be a really fun part of people's, um, people's email uh, rotation. This is excellent. And I'd love for you to touch upon that nonprofit work for a moment because this One Love Foundation sounds really amazing. And if you could just give us a little taste of that, Sarah. Yeah. So their website is joinonelove.org. And it's this great nonprofit that um, was founded in honor of Yardley Love, who was a college student who was murdered by her ex-boyfriend. And um, it really aims to teach all people, um, but it started with people in high school, college age, um, to teach them about the signs of an unhealthy relationship, signs of a healthy relationship. And it really talks a lot about um, emotional abuse and control. And these are things that have really been romanticized in our society forever. So there are so many signs of an unhealthy, emotionally abusive relationship that many people um, don't realize are signs of abuse because we're so used to seeing them um, really romanticized in, in pop culture throughout time. So it's a really, I think a really important thing for people to learn when they're young. I got into my relationship with my ex-husband when I was 16 years old and was in that for 13 years. Um, and I found this nonprofit when I was getting out of the relationship, really working on healing and learning about what I had been through and just seeing all of those signs written clear as day um, really made me realize that if I had received this kind of education as a younger person, I um, would not have stayed in that relationship or would have had tools to get out of that relationship earlier. So it's important for me to, um, 
you know, kind of go back in time, do what I can to educate other people about those things. Maybe someone else out there will hear it at the right time and won't have to go through what I went through. Well, Sarah, I can uh, say that we we probably didn't share this, or I probably didn't share this with you, but I had a very similar lived experience, and so I married very young, and it was um, it was a very very difficult emotionally um, unhealthy relationship. So these tools are so important because sometimes families don't share this kind of information or they don't have agency in this arena. They might see that um, their sister, brother, child, somebody's like dating someone that's not really quite right for them, but it's hard to intervene. So an organization like this nonprofit you're describing is really essential, I think, to support and be aware of and share. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, everyone should check it out because these things don't only happen in romantic relationships. I think a lot of people see the information and think, oh, this feels a lot like the way my boss treats Mm, me or mm -hmm. the way my father or, you know, who, you know, whatever. Unhealthy behaviors happen in all sorts of relationships, not just romantic ones. And I think, um, you know, everyone can benefit from just learning about them. And um, I think it helps set those boundaries for ourselves. So we know when something happens, this isn't normal, this isn't okay. Um, You know, it kind of helps stop that cycle. And then you have this, this divorce ring that you have cultivated around to help women uh, coming out of this to buy themselves something as a remembrance of what they've learned and and what they've lived. Just touch upon that too for a moment. Yeah. So when, when I got out of my first marriage, I was 23 years old and I had, you know, gone from living with my parents to being in college, to being in this relationship where I didn't really have a lot of um, individual agency, especially when it came to money. I was, going through grad school and then starting my career as a classical musician. And my, my ex was supporting me financially through all of that. And it, you know, was a a controlling situation where I had never actually been in charge of finances ever in my life. So um, when I got out of that, it was the first time that I was in a position to make those decisions for myself. And I, um, saw this amazing ring. It's an Edwardian dinner ring. I'm not wearing it right now or I would totally show you, but it's on my Instagram. It's really, really exquisite. And um, it has old European cut diamonds. And I just fell madly in love with it. And it was a big purchase for me. I think it was probably the most expensive thing I had ever purchased for myself in my life. But um, it was such an empowering thing to be able to make that call for myself, to trust that I was an adult who could make that financial decision. I could budget accordingly. My finances were my own. um, And I didn't have to ask anyone to make the purchase, which was such a foreign and amazing feeling. So I bought the ring and it really... um, It just every time I looked at it, I felt really proud of myself for so many reasons. And I found that it really helped other people understand how to relate to me during that time too, because when they would compliment it and ask about it, I would tell them, oh, it's my divorce ring. And they would see that I was celebrating this 
lifetime milestone and they kind of got the hint that they didn't have to be weird about it like they didn't have to be like oh i'm so sorry are you okay like they were like oh wow you seem like you're doing well it's such a beautiful ring like it just kind of diffused the whole situation which made things a lot easier for me because i was it was a very positive thing in my life and i was just so tired of people acting weird <laughs> about it um, so when I started my business, I posted a picture of the ring and told my story and women started coming to me to buy their own. And it's a very small section of what I do. Most of my clients are not buying divorce rings, but when I have that opportunity to work with someone and be, um, you know, a positive part of this experience for them, it makes me really happy. I love that. That's the heart-centered part of your business. And yes. I, I feel like my business is heart-centered as well. Um, I want to kind of close our episode today by sharing with the audience that um, this is in memory of my dear friend, Michael Lee, an opera singer who passed away in April of 2020. His favorite uh, opera was Tosca. Ah. And he performed that opera many times in his career in Europe. I'd love to know, Sarah, as an opera singer, what is your favorite opera and what do you love to perform? That is such a tough question because it changes constantly. Um, but I think my favorite opera to perform is Pagliacci. Um, and one of the reasons, um, it all kind of ties together, it is the story of an abusive relationship. My character is murdered by her jealous husband. And that was the opera that really brought my heart-centered focus um, into focus. It was the first time that I teamed up with One Love and I did, um, I did educational outreach in conjunction with opera outreach. So I went to the local high schools near um, you know, the theater and I sang for the students. We did the whole One Love curriculum and talked about um, you know, a, a relationship abuse, and then tied it in with the opera. And it was such a meaningful experience for me. Um, and my other reason for it being my favorite opera to perform is it's one of the few operas that my husband, my now husband and I um, can do together. We have different sets of repertoire. And this is one of the operas where um, they overlap. So um, my wonderful husband actually plays the role of the murderous clown husband, which is, you know, very interesting. But actually, it was a lovely experience to perform it together last year because it's such a vulnerable and um, emotional, potentially emotionally triggering role to step into going through what I've been through and to be able to do that with the person who I love and trust the most made it a really um, safe and healing experience. So it sounds weird, but it was um, fulfilling Amazing. on so many levels. Yes. And it's a gorgeous opera and it's quite short too. So modern audiences love it. It's like a, you know, a long TV episode. <laughs> I love it. Well, we've brought everything together today, the art of music, the art of fashion, the art of timeless treasure. And I really want my audience to think about how they can reduce their own footprint by using 
using items like this that are just a great alternative to new designs. It's a wonderful way to incorporate vintage into your signature style. And please follow Sarah. Her social media is just so lovely and uplifting to see these kinds of gems. And it's just fun. Thank you. That really means a lot to me. <laughs> I'm so glad you came. And we just love having guests like you who can really open up our minds and open up our hearts. Thank you so much. It was perfect. Thank you. sustainable style, check out lasswardrobe.com.